Discover the magic of integrating your financial, legal, and life planning. It's time for Smart Simple Wealth. Well, hello and welcome to the first ever edition of Smart Simple Wealth. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Carrie Qureshi, the estate and wealth planning attorney at Qureshi Law Firm, serving you throughout Arkansas and Texas. You can find us online by going to QureshiLaw.com. That's QureshiLaw.com. Don't worry. We're going to put a link to the website in the uh, show notes of today's episode so you don't have to worry about spelling Qureshi. Thanks so much for taking the time out to join us. Carrie, how are you? I'm doing great today. How are you, Walter? Doing fantastic and looking forward to our first conversation with one another as we dive into all sorts of topics over the next many, many podcasts to talk about the magic of integrating your financial, legal, and life planning. And we've got lots of good stuff coming up on today's episode, as you probably saw when you clicked on the headline of today's show. But before we get to all of that, Carrie, I thought it'd be helpful. I'm sure some people listening to this show certainly know a lot about you already, but we're going to have listeners who, you know, don't know your background and why you do what you do. So I thought we'd be able to begin the show this week by kind of opening up the platform to you to tell us about how you got to where you are today as the estate and wealth planning attorney at Qureshi Law Firm. And and give us some background on who you've been and who you are now. Absolutely. And I think that that's really helpful for listeners to know my background and to know why I do what I do. I am a native of Northeast Arkansas. I grew up here. I attended college here at ASU. And then I decided to go on to law school. And at that time, I really didn't know what area of the law I wanted to practice. I'm not sure what it really looked like, but I wanted to help others. And I knew that I would discover that along the way. And so I went to SMU Law School in Dallas. And while I was there, I started working for a financial advisor in Dallas, a very successful advisor with a large broker dealer. And I loved the idea of integrating both the legal and the financial side of things. And so ultimately, that was where I was headed. And then in 2008 and 2009, something really bad happened. And if you had money in the market, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The market started to tank. And when I was working with this advisor, I could hear his conversations with the clients in person or on the phone. And they had this real fear of losing money in the markets. And they were concerned, you know, retirement savings were down the drain. There was panic. They were trying to figure out, you know, should we go to cash? Should we make changes? And at that point in time, you know, the advisor didn't have good advice for them because he was an active money manager and active money management just really believes in picking the best stocks, being able to time the market accurately, when to get out and when to get back in and really making predictions. And it wasn't working for him. And at that point in time, I didn't know a better way. I was still in law school. I was new to the financial side of things. And I just said, whoa, you know, I don't want to be responsible for losing people's money. I don't have a good investment strategy. So I'm going to just pursue law. And that's what I did. I went ahead. I passed the bar. I went to work at a couple of general practice firms. And eventually I started my own practice where we really specialize in estate and wealth planning. Once I got back into estate planning and helping families, I started noticing a couple of things. And it was a lot of bad advice coming from so-called financial advisors or tax experts. And 
one of them, one of the tax and CPA and financial advisors was telling one of my clients that they needed to hold property as joint tenants in common instead of their trust, which was basically telling them to take their assets out of trust for tax purposes, which is terrible. And there were there were so many other, you know, bad advice out there that I realized that I needed to be doing more for my clients because the legal part alone was not working for them if we are not integrating the tax and the financial pieces to that. And so I spent a lot of my own time and money and just effort into really researching what is a better way to manage people's money? How do we invest? What's a long-term strategy so that we can achieve all of our goals? And so what we do now is a culmination of my research and, and things that we've put into practice so that we know the client's legal matters are protected, but that they also have a tax plan that's going to minimize you know, the taxes and the fees in their portfolio and that their financial plan is going to work long term. And so that's really, you know, why I do what I do and, you know, what most people I think are looking for in a comprehensive advisor. It's so interesting that so many, I think, financial professionals out there, you know, or legal professionals, they kind of stay in their lane. They stick to just one of those different pieces of expertise. Some even get further down in terms of the specialization and specialize, like, let's just say, in, in one type of product, like maybe just annuities or just life insurance or just mutual funds and stocks and those kinds of things. And you've made this conscious effort and choice with your business to be able to handle all of these different elements. And that seems very unique to me. Is it from a kind of broad nationwide view here? I mean, is what you do a pretty unique perspective? Right. It's very unique when it comes to the investment side of things, because a lot of financial experts out there, they're really just insurance agents or they're stockbrokers. They only do one thing. And so if you go to them and say, I've inherited $100,000, what should I do with it? Of course, the insurance person is going to say, oh, we need to put it in an insurance product. This is the best way for retirement and everything, because that's their only product. And the same thing with a stockbroker. We need to put it in the market. And so for me, being a registered investment advisor, which simply means I am independent, I am a fiduciary to put my client's interests above my own, but that, you know, it doesn't matter what product we need. If we decide, you know, here's the strategy, we can pick a number of different products. And at the end of the day, the client gets to tell me, you know, I think this insurance product works or in a combination with the investment portfolio. And so we're not restricted on the different types of products. And yes, that definitely makes us unique because we just have the right products for our clients. It's pretty neat to see that different type of perspective and looking forward to hearing a little bit more about how you certainly operate, Carrie. And as we go through the different topics we're going to cover on this podcast, it'll be neat to get your perspective on those things. By the way, as you listen to the, each of the podcasts that we're going to be publishing, we're going to cover lots of different topics. So be sure to check out each time we post a new episode. We're going to be posting two new episodes per month. So you can kind of check out all the different areas and ground that we'll be covering here on the show. Sometimes we're going to keep it straightforward with topics. Sometimes we're going to answer questions that you might have about maybe your legal or financial or life planning situation. If you want to submit those questions, you can always go online to CoratiLaw.com and submit those. You can also call Carrie and the team at 870 275 
4304 if you've ever got questions, and I'll give you those ways to get in touch again at the end of today's show. Let's talk about, I want you to tell us a story to begin our podcast this week after getting that great background, Carrie. I'm wondering if you can tell us about a time. I know that one of the most popular mistakes that people end up making from a financial and legal perspective, certainly this is where that blends very well, is you know protecting assets for your children, for the next generation. Can you tell us about a time when somebody didn't do that and what you uncovered as you tried to help them maybe fix the problem? Right. Well, I think the particular story that comes to mind here, and it wasn't a story that I was particularly close to, but it actually happened to a good friend, an attorney of mine in a different state. And he had done an estate plan for a couple, an older couple with an adult daughter. And when they came in to meet, they wanted a very simple estate plan. They said, you know, our life isn't complicated. We want to get this done. We want it easy. And our daughter is very responsible. She's in her 30s. She makes great decisions with money. And so once the two of us pass away, we want that money just to go to her outright with no restrictions. And so that's exactly what the attorney did. He did a simple will with an outright distribution to the daughter. And so a few years go by and eventually mom and dad both pass away. And so the daughter did eventually inherit her sum of money. And when she inherited it, she just put it in her bank account and life went on, right? Well, about, I think it was maybe six months later, she was driving to work in the rain And a car actually came up behind her in another lane and hit her bumper and caused her to swerve and hit a daycare van. Mm. And it killed the driver and it also killed one of the children. And, of course, you can imagine what happened next. Both her and the other driver were sued. And the jury found that she was 20% responsible for the accident and that the other driver was 80% responsible. The problem is that the other driver had no assets and the particular state that they were in had joint and several liability, which is a legal term. And that just means if one defendant can't pay, that the other defendant is 100% responsible for paying, even if they were only partially responsible for the accident. And of course, she ended up paying 100% of the damages and losing 100% of her inheritance. And, you know, it's really sad because if her parents would have done just some really simple planning within their will and within their estate plan, then this wouldn't have happened at all. And the parents could have put her money into a lifetime asset protection trust. It could have been protected from not only her creditors, but also a future divorce if that happened down the road or any other type of predator or scam out there without restricting that daughter's access to money. And I think that's the biggest fear for a lot of people. They don't want to control from the grave when you do have responsible adults. But they could have given her the ability to still pull out money as she needed it, but still have it protected from something like this. Wow, that's a, a shocking story, and I didn't even know that you know you could be found 20% responsible in a situation like that. That's pretty wild. That strikes me as something that the layperson probably wouldn't know about the you know, law world until you kind of get into those kinds of situations, until really it's kind of too late to realize that there's a possibility for that kind of thing. 
Right. And that's another problem is, you know, we don't have a crystal ball, but once anything like that happens, you know, mom and dad are gone or there has been an accident, it's too late to do any of this planning. And so it has to be done in the beginning. And so when we set this up in a lifetime trust, you know, there's really no downside to protecting the kids that way. You know, they still have access to the money. And so for most people, I mean, it really makes sense just to have that built into their plan in case it's ever needed in the future. Wow, pretty amazing to see that. And this is something that should have been handled on the parent side. It's not something that the child would have been able to do after getting the inheritance. It would have been the parents setting this up in advance of their death, right? Most commonly, that's the way it's handled. The daughter could have done some asset protection when she first inherited that money. It would have been a lot harder for her to do that than having the parents do it. And that's what I, when I'm sitting next to a client, I'm always telling them, it's a lot easier for you to do this for your children to build in asset protection in your plan rather than them to go out and create that on their own just because of the way the laws are structured. And so why not put it into this trust and give them the option? And then when they inherit that money, depending on how the trust is set up, you know, you can still give them access to pull out 100% of the money if they don't want to or if they need the money. But whatever is left in that trust, you know, think of it like a fortress around that money. Creditors can't get through it. It's protected for your kids. And one of the things that a lot of people don't think about, but is also a benefit of this lifetime trust, is that if something happens to that child and they pass away without an estate plan, your trust is automatically going to extend that down to the next generation, maybe to your grandkids. And so making sure that it's passed down in the right way. So it's really not only just asset protection, but it's bloodline protection. Wow. That's a a shocking story, certainly one that is an eye opener and one that's a great example of the kind of conversation you're not going to have. Most likely, I'd be willing to guess you're not going to have that conversation with your broker. Right. I mean, that's just not going to be something that comes up and really gets worked into the plan in in 99 percent of cases, I would imagine. Right. I mean, if they're a comprehensive planner, then at most they're telling you or asking you, do you have a will? Do you have you know, powers of attorney? Oh, you don't. Okay, well, you need to go get that done. Go find a lawyer or here's our recommendation of you know, the lawyer we like to work with. And that's it. And so that causes a problem, especially when you have one professional doing you know, a little piece of your plan and another professional doing another part of the plan and nobody's talking. Nobody's making sure that all the little parts are working together. And that's a huge factor in really the effectiveness of the plan when the time comes. There's another side to that too, Carrie, and it's not so much, you know, the professionals not connecting the dots for you, but it's sort of this DIY generation or mentality that, you know, a lot of us seem to have embodied these days when it comes to, oh, I don't know, everything from home renovation and landscaping, interior design, you know, we're all kind of becoming DIY experts, and that's now extending to other elements you know, different professional lives, different, you know, representations of, you know, you can now file your own court type documents, you know, quickie wills on the internet and file your legal documents with just a few clicks of a button and, you know, do your own financial planning online. All of these things seem to be becoming easier and easier to do it yourself. But I really want to take
take a look at what that DIY mentality looks like in retirement and legal planning and kind of what your experience has been, you know, looking at folks who kind of take that DIY approach and spend a couple of minutes here. When you come alongside somebody who doesn't have a financial advisor, what do you find are their reasons for taking that DIY approach in the first place? Right. I mean, this is a huge topic as well. We see it all the time. And really, for people that don't have a financial advisor and they are doing it themselves on the investment portion, you know, there's really two main reasons. And the first is one that, you know, they like doing the research and managing the numbers and they're pretty confident that they're doing a good job. And some people are. And if so, they need to keep doing what they're doing because I don't know that I can really add value if they like doing it and they think that they're doing a great job. The other reason, and this is probably more common, is that they're not really sure that they're doing the right thing but they don't really trust anyone to help them with their money or they don't really understand and know what they don't know. Okay, that makes sense. You don't know what you don't know. That's We've heard that in a lot of different things in life, and it couldn't be more true when it comes to you know finances and legal kinds of matters as well. What about somebody that you know took that DIY approach for estate planning, not just the financial side? Right. Um, the estate planning side, you know, it, sometimes it is about the lowest cost. And, you know, people always want to save a few bucks and I'm no exception. I want something that has value. But the big issue, like we just mentioned on the financial side, is people don't know what they don't know. And so they assume that all estate plans are equal, that all wills are equal or all trusts. And in that given, you know, parameter, if everything is equal, then of course you need to buy whatever is the lowest cost. But All estate plans are not equal. And let me tell you, I have seen so many do-it-yourself legal documents in my practice, and very few of them really meet the needs of our clients today. And one client in particular, they did a do-it-yourself will for her husband. Her husband was sick at the time, and it was really a time-sensitive thing. And so they had to get a will drawn up. And so she went online, and they created this will. And she just assumed that as the wife, that she would automatically inherit first when he passed and that she would also be able to serve as the executor or personal representative of his estate. And so when they listed out those things, they just listed the two sons. And when he did pass away, they did reach out to me and to probate his estate. And when I looked at the will, you know, I had to explain to her that she would not be able to serve as the personal representative of the estate and that she couldn't inherit any of the assets because she was not listed as the beneficiary. And so she was going to be passed over and everything was going to go to the two sons. And when I talked to her about it, I said, did you know that this is this the way you wanted it? And she just said, no, you know, honestly, you know, I just assumed that I would get it first and we just didn't pay a lot of attention. And that's what we did. Assume is a bad word in your world, right? (laughs) Yes, yes, you know, Um, and and so that's one of the problems um, just with kind of doing a basic will, but we've also seen what we call a lot of bare bones living trusts, and when I'm talking about bare bones, this is your basic living trust, you know, this is what you're getting on an online website or just kind of a generic general practice attorney, and the bare bones living trust is really designed to do one thing, and that is to avoid probate court. 
But what we're seeing is that these bare bones trusts aren't working, aren't doing what they're supposed to do because no one took the time to properly fund the trust. And when I'm talking about funding a trust, I'm talking about just retitling your assets into the name of the trust so that you don't own assets in your own name. So you don't have to go through probate. And so that's a huge problem as well, because, you know, here they are thinking that they have everything set up and it really gives them that false sense of security because they think that they have it done yet. There is nothing in that trust. And when they pass away, their kids are going to be really upset to learn that we have to go and probate everything. Yeah, it's really tough to wrap your head around all the different ways that something can go wrong when you're putting together, you know, these different legal documents and adding that DIY component. You know, I think people have kind of come up with that to make it easier and more accessible, obviously, for the everyday person to try and make sure that they have the proper documents in place. But gosh, to me, it just seems like I'd have more angst hearing stories like this of, you know, not knowing if things are properly done. I mean, just because it was easy doesn't mean it's good. Right, right. And we actually, I had a client recently, and when they came in for their first appointment, she said, I actually got onto this website and started doing it myself. And then I realized, you know, I didn't know all the answers to the things. And I just, you know, "Mm, is this the best way that, you know, to, to handle my estate plan? And we should probably call an attorney. And so that's when they came in to me. Yeah, that seems to make a lot of sense. And I'm sure a lot of people follow maybe a similar arc there, Carrie, where they think, all right, I'll be able to do this on my own. And then they start getting into it and pull the plug on that line of thinking. Yeah. That's not uh, not yeah. uncommon. Yeah. And the biggest problem with estate planning is, you know, once someone passes away, it's too late to go back and fix any of these issues. And so they're not even realizing till it's too late. And so they have to take the opportunity to get it right now. So they can go the cheap route and they can cross their fingers and hope it will work and hope it will take care of their loved ones once they're gone, but not really know that. Or they can work with an experienced attorney and advisor that really knows how to create that comprehensive plan because we want it to stay up to date over time and ultimately work, you know, when they need it to work. Well, like we talked about earlier on the program, we're often going to combine and blend the worlds of estate planning and financial planning together. And so flipping back over toward that financial planning side, Carrie, if somebody's been managing their money by themselves, you know, for quite some time, what are the triggers that then cause them to come in and visit an advisor like you? Is it similar to what you see on the estate planning side or is it a little bit different? I think it's a little bit different on the financial side because this is something that impacts them during their lifetime. So I think there's a little bit more pain, you know, immediate pain with the financial and the investments. And really, you know, the biggest trigger that we see is market losses, you know, the realization that they're not achieving their desired rate of return, maybe they're not keeping up with inflation. And that is really due to a number of different factors when they're looking and saying, hey, you know, what's going on with my portfolio? Why am I not getting, you know, 8% or 9% or 10% that I'm seeing advertised on the mutual fund prospectus? You know, one of the things that they could be doing is active stock picking, which is going out there and trying to predict which stocks are going to outperform other stocks for the year. And that's proven that it doesn't work long term you know, active stock picking does not work. Another, you know, issue that is really getting investors into trouble is market timing. And we recently went through a little period 
you know, this was a great example because in December, the market started to drop again and clients were worried. They said, oh, should I go to cash? Should we just sit on the sidelines for a little bit? And my job as their advisor is to keep them disciplined and to say, you know, let's stay in this portfolio because we know there's going to be volatility. There's going to be ups and downs, but let's stay the course because your portfolio is built to withstand that. And I actually just got an email yesterday from one of the clients where we had that conversation and they did stay invested and they said, hey, Carrie, you know, thanks for talking us off the ledge. You know, we're really glad that we didn't go to cash and that we stayed put because here in January, we're seeing the markets rebound. And then, you know, really the other thing that relates back to the market losses is track record investing. And that's just another place where, you know, investors get into trouble when they're going and looking at the historical records of what's done well and trying to make a prediction in the future of what mutual fund or what stock is going to do better in the future. And the thing is, we just don't know any of those things. And so the best course of action is to have a diversified portfolio that owns a little bit of everything. And so we don't have to be changing everything or we don't have to be worried about these little ups and downs. So interesting to see just how quickly things happen on the financial planning side, like you said, that immediate pain, and then the estate planning side, certainly looking to that next generation's laying long-term plans for the future. Not that financial planning isn't long-term as well, but on the pain side, you definitely feel it very immediate, and that often causes knee-jerk reactions, and sometimes that's not what you want to do. You don't want to procrastinate, but you also don't want to make decisions you know, just out of you know a quick knee-jerk and that kind of thing. I think the different emotions that are involved in these two types of planning also must create a bit of a, I don't know, a complicating factor, shouldn't it? Right. I mean, emotions are so important. You know, we definitely can't discount them, but especially in the investment side, emotions can often get us into trouble because we have that fear or panic and we know in our head, you know, here's what we should do. You know, our portfolio is good. We need to leave it alone. But in our hearts, you know, we can't do that. And so that does cause some short-term controversy. Yeah. Well, this has been a fantastic first show, Carrie, really getting a deep dive into lots of different financial and estate planning issues. And so I thought it would be good to kind of bring it back around full circle. Let's give a couple of good takeaway nuggets here at the end of the show. And I think this will also set us up for great future episodes as well as we'll dive more into these kinds of things. But give us kind of the uh, Reader's Digest version, as my mom used to call it. What are the most common retirement planning mistakes that people tend to make when they're trying to handle it all themselves? And I know that we're going to talk heavily about solutions to these things on future episodes. Right. Well, I think, you know, when it comes to common retirement planning mistakes, there's three main ones. And the first is not staying disciplined to a long-term strategy. They're letting their emotions get in the way. And we've talked about that quite a bit. The second is taking too much risk with their investments and not being rewarded with extra return, right? That just, it doesn't make sense. We want to take the least amount of risk and get the most amount of return. And really the third is not having an integrated financial, legal, and tax plan. So for some do-it-yourselfers, they might have the investment piece doing okay, but they haven't taken a really hard look at how taxes will impact their life, especially if they have a lot in 401ks and IRAs and everything is tax deferred. They also might not have an estate plan in place to protect that wealth once they're gone. 
to minimize the taxes and fees that are passed on to their loved ones and really even to protect their loved ones from divorces and creditors and predators when they're gone. Well, we covered a lot of ground on today's show, Carrie. So if somebody's hearing all of these different moving parts, everything from talking about the, you know, why you got into this business, which I think was, you know, just good conversation in and of its own, but then all these great stories and nuggets and pieces of information you gave us, if somebody finds themselves Falling into some of these common mistakes, some of these traps that you just kind of laid out for us, they've tried to do it themselves. Maybe they've even put together some legal documents online, but now they're not quite sure if they got checked all the right boxes or if they're actually properly covered from these different moving parts. What's the best way for somebody to kind of get started on the process of getting a proper plan together that integrates all of these things, financial, legal, and life planning? Well, the first thing that they can do is they can request our Family Wealth Protection Toolkit. And this is just a free kit that we ship to your home. And it is going to include a wealth of information about how you can protect your loved ones, build your wealth, and ultimately create a lasting legacy. And they can go to our website to do that. That's www.kareshilaw.com. Or they can give us a call at 870-275-4304. Again, the way to get in touch is giving a call, 870-275-4304. You can request the Family Wealth Protection Toolkit that way. That's 870-275-4304. Or you can get it online at QureshiLaw.com. Don't worry, we're going to have that as a link in the show notes of today's episode. So just check the episode description and uh, you'll find a link to the website and to uh, this particular episode where you can request that toolkit. Just go to QureshiLaw.com, check the description of today's episode, or give a call to 870-275-4304. Great starting point is to get your Family Wealth Protection Toolkit. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for taking the time out to join us on today's program. This was a lot of fun, and I'm going to look forward to joining you on the next show as well. Yep, this was so much fun. Thank you so much, Walter. Join us for the next episode of Smart Simple Wealth, the podcast for you if you're looking to learn a little bit more about integrating your financial, legal, and life planning. For Carrie Qureshi, I'm Walter Storholt. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us. Did you know you can subscribe to the Smart Simple Wealth Podcast with your favorite app? It's on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and dozens of other places where you listen to podcasts. And if it's not on an app you'd like to use, let us know and we'll get it on there. To make sure you never miss an episode, just search Smart Simple Wealth on your favorite podcasting platform today and subscribe. Investment advisory services offered through Pegasus Wealth Coaching, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Legal services provided by Qureshi Law Firm, PLLC. The Qureshi Law Firm and Pegasus Wealth Coaching are not affiliated in any way. Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. Opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and are not intended as investment or legal advice. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Consult your financial professional before making any investment decision. Information provided does not create an attorney-client relationship and cannot substitute for obtaining legal advice from an attorney admitted to practice law in your state.